I have a question for you. And I used to wonder about this often myself. Why are there two elements in the Lord's Supper? Why two? We know what they represent, but why? Why is there the cup and the bread? And I want to talk with you about that today. And there's a, there's a very specific reason, but I don't think, I think it's something that, because we are so satisfied today to sit on the surface, if you will, of, of, of biblical truth, that we just don't ever look underneath. We never take the time to dig down deeper, ask those questions, and then more importantly, answer them according to the Scripture. So I want to talk to you just really just as a setup to get our... We don't always get a chance to do this, but we finished up our, our um, exposition of Paul's letter to the Philippians, which I really enjoyed. I, I, I think you all did too, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss that. I'm going to really miss uh, our Philippians. And we got some things we're going to be doing this month, and then we'll be heading into the Advent season, remembering the incarnation of uh, Christ Jesus. So that'll take us through to the through December, and then in the new year we'll be starting a, another series. But today I want to, because of that, because we have an open Sunday, haven't got a chance to do this in a long time, and that is to just to talk to you for a moment from the Word of God about communion itself. And today I want to focus on the elements. Why? Why two elements? Uh, I think. I think I could probably safely say that if I asked probably even Jack uh, today, he's, I think he's in here somewhere. Where is Jack? Okay, you're right by Nana. I won't ask Jack, but I could, and I bet he can answer it. What does the, what does the grape juice or the cup represent? I, you know, what's that represent? Yeah, the blood of Jesus. And why is the blood of Christ important? What does it do for us? I'm hearing lots of different things. Yeah, it, it, it deals with our sin problem, right? It's a, it's a payment. I heard covering over here. It, it, it's described a lot of different ways. And we're going we're gonna to just hit on that briefly. Uh, we get that part, right? With, and what Pastor Jay said back there, without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, Right? Sin can't be dealt with. And by the way, why is it the shedding of blood? Yeah, exactly. You drain the blood and you drain the life with it. Um, and apparently those early physicians who used to like to bleed people to fix you uh, forgot about that scripture that says the life is in the blood. Right? And it goes back to, to, to the book of Romans uh, 3.23, uh, 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Death right? Um, so the life is in the blood, and the payment for sin is in the blood. Now, we know that for many, many years, um, the blood that was shed was the blood of bulls and goats, and Hebrews talks about that. Matter of fact, let's, let's look at that scripture together. It's Hebrews 9.22. If you want to jot that down, I don't think I put that in your outline. But Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law... Almost all things are purified with blood. So blood is a purifying factor. Again, think of the sacrifice and the blood is 
literally the life of, a, of an animal in the place of a life of a human being. So these things are purified by blood because God's, God's judicial system has never changed. We, talked, we listened to that this morning in our D group talking about um, the wrath of God against sin. God's plan never changed. Never ha- and, and, and I got a newsflash for you. It's not going to change either. <laughs> Amen, church? Aren't you, and, and we call that the immutability of God. God is an unchanging God, right? But then, he, then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say what, what Pastor Jay quoted to us, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sin is not covered. Sin is not removed. So we, we know that the blood is important, but what about... What about the bread? If the cup represents the blood of Christ, we might know this part. What does the bread represent? The body of Christ, right? But in what sense where we know, okay, the blood of Christ, that's my sin, deals, deals with my sin problem. What does the, what is the body of, why are, we, why are we remembering in a physical way as I think almost an object lesson, why does God cause us to remember the body of Christ. What's the significance of the body? Hmm? Okay, definitely. All right, the sacrifice of Christ, um, the bodily sacrifice. Anybody else? Why the body? Okay, the substitution. And there's another shun word, <laughs> and it does deal with our salvation. But it's what happened on the cross. On the cross, he was our substitute, wasn't he? Right? Just like he was a picture of all the animals from all the Old Testament that whole time. Those were all shadows. You all know how a shadow works, don't you? There's light, and then there's something, a substance. The light shines against the substance and casts the shadow. Jesus was the substance, right, in all of history. The shadow was the Old Testament and all of the, all of the um, sacrificial system that happened in the Old Testament, even this meal that we're having today was fulfilled, Passover was fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. And he transitions the Passover feast to something that he intends for us to remember regularly. And we call it the Lord's Supper. But he takes the shadow and brings out the fact that he is the substance of that shadow. And now we understand through progressive revelation where all of that was going. And all of that was going somewhere. Remember the Passover was them getting uh, emancipated from slavery in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world, right? Um, And they had to shed the blood of that lamb that night before. There was a big process that went into that and... And um, they had to put the, paint the sides of the doorposts and the, and the lentil, the top part of the door. And then the angel of death would come. And when he, when he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. Remember that? And they had to do it in such a rush. God said, I'm going to act fast. So you're not even going to have time to put yeast in your, in your bread. You're going to eat that flat bread. Right? And that's how come we have that unleavened bread. And leaven being a picture, that yeast being a picture of sin. And Jesus being unleavened. But the bread represents his body. And again, there's some things we can realize about that. But here's a scripture. 
And as, and y'all, this is one you should you should know. This would be a good scripture to memorize. It's First Peter two twenty four. And this is what I want you. I want you to be as confident in your understanding of what the bread is to our salvation as you are um, the wine. Here's what it says: Who himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins where church, in his own body, in his own body where on a tree so our sins were somehow born in his body physically on the cross that we look at this part here here's here's what the body's about here's what the bread's about that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed so I heard the word substitution. Uh, there's another word that um, we need to understand when it comes to the bread. It's identification. Jesus identified. He literally, um, my favorite verse in Scripture is Second Corinthians. Um, now I'm drawing a blank. Is it 521, I think? It says, for he who knew no sin, that's Christ, what is it? It doesn't say he, he took sin upon himself. What's that word say? It said he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin to what end? So that the righteousness of God, this perfect standing, this perfect righteousness of God might be made manifest. That word means to show up. Where? In us. Might be made manifest in us. This is what Paul tells us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, what, what an amazing concept. He didn't just, in some weird way, go to the cross and say, okay, I'll pay your price. No, it says, he became my sin. That's identification. He was my substitute. He went to the, who should have been on that cross? The wages of sin is what? That I committed those sins. That was my cross. And yet, the scriptures say, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is so important to understand. That's why there are two elements in the Lord's Supper today. And I want us to, I want us to wrap our minds around that. So let me give you a little bit of comparison and contrast to maybe when we come to this table, really appreciate what's going on here. And also take, this is the key, to take it home, internalize it and say, hey, this can help me live differently. And oh, it should. So here's the first thought. I think, this is, I think this is in your outline this morning. The blood deals with sin. The blood of Christ deals with my sin. But the body or the cross, when I say the cross, I mean, I mean what Jesus did bodily on the cross. But the body deals with sinners. You see the difference there? The blood is the price, the purchase price of my redemption. It is the blood of Christ as the cost for the penalty of sin. That's what God the Father demands. And it's a high price. If you ever want to know how bad your sin is, go look at what it costs. And I love, I love one of my, my favorites um, writers about this particular subject is a, is a Chinese evangelist, 
named Watchman Nee. Anybody ever heard of Watchman Nee? Everybody should know Watchman Nee. And she, everyone should read his, his book called The Normal Christian Life. It's an excellent work that explains this so very well. But Nee says this in that book. He said, as human beings, we have no idea how to, what value, what price to put on the blood of Christ. He said, because the blood's not for you, it's for God. God sees the blood, right? We, we don't see the blood of Christ. That is something for the Father to behold. And we have to accept the Father's valuation of the blood of Christ. And he says it's so valuable that it takes a sinner who's covered up in sin and cleanses him and gives him a perfect record. That's an amazing thing. So the blood deals with sin, but the cross or the body deals with sinners. D.L. Moody said this, the blood alone makes us safe and the word alone makes us sure. Isn't that true? Blood alone makes us safe. The word alone makes us sure. His blood for my fault and his robe for my blame. So we have, a, we have the, the blood, the cup, is to remind us of the, of the penalty price that was paid to remove our sin. But the body of Christ on that cross deals with sinners. So let me give you a little breakdown here, and this will come up on the screen, with the body on one side and the blood on the other. All right, the first thing is, if we look at sin, what's the difference between sin and sinners? A sin is a what? It's, a, it's something you do, right? It's an action. What is sinner? It's an identity word, right? So it's a difference. The body, uh, in the body of Christ, we, we deal with an identity change. The blood deals with action. I don't know why that's like that. It was all. Anyway, here's the next one. The body is who we are. The blood covers what we do. In the body of Christ, where our sin was born, we find deliverance. Through the blood of Christ, we find forgiveness. And in the body of Christ, we find power. We find the power to live the Christian life. And the blood of Christ takes care of the penalty of sin. Power of sin is destroyed in the body of Christ. The penalty of sin is paid through the blood of Christ. Now here's a thought, and this is something I want us to really consider this morning as we understand what God is doing with this second element, with the bread, the body of Christ. is simply this, the blood can wash away my sin. You remember that song, what can wash away my sin? And what's the, what's the refrain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah says, they shall be whiter than wool. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood can wash away my sin, but it cannot wash away the old man. It can't wash away who I am. It can takes care of my sin penalty. And Anybody glad for that today? That our sins can be covered? Amen? But it can't, it can't change the core of who you are. That's why there's two elements. The body of Christ is where our identity change takes place. And I want you to see that this morning. Open your Bibles um, 
We're going we're gonna to be in Romans 5, but I want you to go to uh, Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at that here in just a second. I've been teaching through Romans this year and uh, really been enjoying being back in this wonderful epistle. And it's amazing. Every time I'm in it, I see something new. You all ever do that with a scripture? You, 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 get, you, you think you've learned everything there is to learn out of that. But I could go back and preach through Philippians again and, and learn all new things. All right? That's because it's a living book. The Bible is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive, right? Quick means alive. And I've been seeing all kinds of stuff in here. And I've been reminded of some things, too, which has been wonderful. So the blood can wash away my sin, but it can't wash away the old man. And I use that word on purpose, old man, because that's the word that Paul uses. That's a better word. I I don't like that word sin nature. That's a bad word. That's an imposed word. The word Paul, Paul uses two words. He uses old man predominantly. But he also uses a word called flesh. And it's in the Greek, it's sarx, S-A-R-X. And it's literally just this stuff right here. Uh, I cut my finger to the bone yesterday. That flesh responded, I guarantee you. Right? So we know what flesh is. But that's not my sin nature. Um, and that's what this, this, this identity change is so important. So here's the reality. I think this is in your outline as well. Why is a sinner a sinner? That's the question we want to ask today. Why is a sinner a sinner? Yeah. Is a sinner a sinner because he sins or does he sin because he's born a sinner? You know, I could take a pig from the farm and take it out of the pig pen and give it a good bath, put a collar on it, teach it to bark and hate cats and chase chase the neighbor's cat. But does that make that pig a dog? Does that training its behavior differently? Does it change who it is? No, because as soon as I let that pig go, where's it going to head? It's going right back to the pig pen. And you know why they do that, don't you? You know why they like to roll in the mud? Pigs are one of the few animals that can get sunburned. They they literally can get a sunburn. So the mud is like a natural, what do you call that stuff you put on yourself? Sunscreen. Um, But anyway, why? Because he's a pig. A pig rolls in the mud because he's born a pig. Right? Rolling in the mud doesn't make a pig a pig. Being born a pig makes a pig a pig. So it's Birth, not behavior. A sinner is a sinner because he's born a sinner. We come into this world, what did David say? In sin did my mother conceive me. Right? That doesn't mean that David's parents weren't married. They were. Wasn't saying that. He said, no, I came into this world with a sin problem. How many of you out there can say amen? Right? And if you don't, and, and sometimes we don't believe that, so God gives us children. <laughs> How many got children that came into this world with a, with, a, with a sin problem, huh? Yeah, right? And believe it or not, it's hard for me to believe, but there even are a few grandchildren that come into this world <laughs> with a sin problem. Other people's grandchildren, not, not ours, but... <laughs> yeah, we're born that way, right? We're born sinners. Um. Romans 5, 19. We're going to go to Romans 6 in a minute, but I want you to see this in Romans 5 and verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who's that one man? That was our father, Adam. All right. So through one man's disobedience. Can I put the 
pause button on there for a second. Why isn't Eve mentioned there? Yeah, that's federal headship. When it, I don't think Eve fell till Adam fell. It's kind of what the scriptures indicate. He was he was the head of the human race. And when and and Eve was tricked. Bible tells us later Adam knew exactly what was going on and he ate willingly. He had the sin. And by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, where am I? Here's my guy. I got one in the back and two up front. If y'all remember back to logic last year, the square of opposition. Anybody, any of you three logicians remember what an I statement is? A, E, I, and O. Yeah, it is, it's some SSP, right? That is a, 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 an affirmative particular. Many is not all. It's many. How come it says many were made sinners and not all were, all were made sinners? Say that again. Have you? Yes, it's Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Because there was one who was going to come that was not born a sinner and only one. And because of that, this word is so accurate that it says what? Not all, but what? Many, because Jesus is, I love how the scriptures describe him as our elder brother. He's just like us. We have a high priest who, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's walked in our, I guess, sandals. I didn't have shoes, but he, he's, he's walked this dusty earth. I was pondering on that this morning. Any, any of you like me that sometimes you think, you know what? I know how this whole thing's supposed to work out, but there's no way we can pull off righteous living in this fallen world. And then I think there's one who did. Jesus did it. He was in all points tempted just like, like we are. There's nothing I face that he didn't face. The difference is he didn't sin. Right? So I think, Tom, that might be the answer there. It's, it's, a, it's a thought anyway. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, and I look at the counterpart to this, so also by one man's obedience, that's King Jesus, Many will be made what? Now notice it says, not all, but what? Many. Many. Right? There's two roads. Wide is the gate and, and, and path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the, is the gate that leads to everlasting life. Few there be that find it, the Scriptures say. So Adam disobeyed, and we were all made sinners. Now that word sinners is an identity word. And by the way, that word righteous is also an identity word. And that word righteous is, carries with it uh, perfection or perfect righteousness. There's another word for that. It's called holiness. Perfectly holy. And there's a word for that kind of a person. And it's not a sinner. It's kind of the opposite. It's juxtaposed to a sinner. What's the opposite of a sinner? Saint. A saint. Right? And it's hagios in the Greek. It's literally um, uh, holy ones. And, and I don't know if, if you've ever read this book. It even happened in Philippians, if you've noticed. All of, the, all of the greetings in every one of the letters in the New Testament, it never says to the sinners in Philippi. Who's it, who's it always addressed to? To the saints. And yet we love to call each other what? Sinners. And even I was even doing a little bit of research because it's become a little bit of an issue uh, in some of our, our other circles, uh, this whole idea, are we a sinner or a saint? 
And uh, that's where I think, and I'm just going to, so you've got a C-minus student here, so you need to take that with what I'm about to say with that understanding. I so appreciate our, the, the reformers and, and the men like Martin Luther and John Calvin that God used to really uh, uh, pull the church out of, out of uh, the error that it was in for so long. I appreciate those men. But I'll tell you what, they got justification right, and that was their focus. They, had, they really did not focus or I think even understand or appreciate identification. They really didn't. That came later. That was a work of God that would come uh, several hundred years later with guys like Watchman Nee and some of these other uh, theologians that God would, would bring about to help us understand, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Even, even uh, uh, Augustine understood some of this. Uh, is that, hey, sinner is an identity word and so is saint. Am I a sinner because I sin? Now, I, was reading, I was reading Calvin's explanation. And it, there's a Latin term that goes with it, and it basically it means just, uh, um, justified and a sinner. And that's what he taught. We're, we're justified sinners. And the whole concept that they, that where they come from on that is that because I sin, that makes me a sinner. And it's, a, it's really a misunderstanding of, and misapplication of grace. You are what you are because you're born with that identity. Birth determines your identity. Do you ever think about this? If birth determines your identity, do you think it was coincidental that when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, what's, he say, what's Jesus say to him? He comes trying to butter him up, you know. Oh, Rabbi, we know you're a prophet come from God. No man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus just doesn't even, he cuts right to the chase. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again. Why use that whole concept of being born again? Because, listen to me, church, birth determines your identity. Yeah, you're a new creation in Christ. Born again. That's a great term. By the way, we need to, I think we need to reestablish that, that term, amen? Not just in the church, but out there in, in the community. People, people need to be born again, amen? When's the last time you heard someone talk about being born again? We need to recapture that term because it's about birth. So, and here's, here's another thing. Think about this. I, I was, we were just walking through Romans 9, which is a tough chapter uh, because there's a section in there that says Jacob... Have I loved and Esau have I what? Hated. Now that word hated, well, I don't get into that. It, it's a tough word no matter how you slice it, right? And these are two twin brothers still in the womb. And Paul even says that in chapter 9. He goes, hey, these are babies. They haven't done right or wrong yet. But that the purpose of God's election might stand. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, right? Before they ever did anything. So it's not based on their works. It's based on God's favor and God's choice and God's decision from eternity past. But it's interesting. What's really weird about that is it goes on through chapter 9, and for some reason, God reveals to their mother, not their dad, I find that interesting, but to their mom, by the way, the older, the elder is going to serve the younger. That was backwards. 
In the Old Testament, the um, firstborn got two-thirds of the inheritance and two-thirds of the blessing. And, and he basically became the patriarch of the family. And whoever, the younger brother, just kind of fell in under him and got the leftovers. And God said, no, I'm going to change that. Why? I think God was setting a precedent. It's not your first birth that matters, it's your second. It was the second born. So these are identity words. This is in your outline. It says, we need forgiveness for what we've done, but we need deliverance from what we are. And that's what the bread is all about. We are, we are literally delivered from ourselves. We get an identity change. And you should be asking the question right now, how does that work? How do I, how do I, how is it that this, the body of Christ changes who I am? The blood of Christ I get. That causes my sins to be paid for, for God to look at me as forgiven. But how does God change me from a sinner to a saint? A whole different kind of person, right? How does God do this core identity change? Well, I think the answer is given to us in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And it says this, Paul says this, Knowing this, and here's that word, that our what, church? Our old man was crucified with him, with Christ, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. What a great truth that is, isn't it? So listen to this, and I want you to ponder this as we're going to open these elements in just a second. Paul says, knowing this, here's something you got to know. Here's something you got to have a, have a mental knowledge of and understand. That something called our old man, now ladies, that doesn't exclude you. Uh, it's the old you. Who, what, who is the old you? That's you before Jesus, right? That's sinful you. That's you that loves sin and hates God. You say, oh, I never hated God. Yes, you did. You say, why would you say that? Because you loved you. And to love yourself is to hate God, right? To live for self is to hate God. We heard about that this morning. You know, it's, it's a crazy thing to ask somebody, you know, are you a sinner? Well, yeah. Well, the next question is, you want to go to heaven? Well, who doesn't want to go to heaven? And who doesn't really believe they're a sinner? I've met very few people that will balk at either of those two things. Because we all know we've done bad things, so yeah, I'm probably a sinner. And yeah, I want to go to heaven. Who wants to go the other, other direction? That's idolatrous, right? we got to look at that thing differently. We need a change of who we used to be to someone completely different. And it says right here that our old man, and you got to know this, Notice the past tense, was crucified, past tense, with him. So something called me was literally crucified in Christ. Hit that pause button and think about what that verse I shared with you, 2 Corinthians 5, it's actually 17, now it's come to me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and he who knew no sin, what? Became sin? That's where I think these two verses merge. God literally took the old me, alive to sin and dead to him, offensive to God, the, who I used to be, and 
And he literally placed me inside of Christ on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin. We, I don't think this is some weird uh, theological jargon. I think this is literal. I think literally God places us in Christ on the cross. And we are, the old us is literally brought to an end. And, and we are then raised, resurrection, a new you on the inside. New identity. Look what it says. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. It goes on to say in verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to this, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The old me was crucified with Christ, and a new me, right there, think identity. Let me put it this way. Sinner me was crucified with Christ, and the, and the saint, me, was resurrected with Christ. So here's the problem. we got to be careful about walking around calling ourselves sinners. If, if, and that's a big if, if sinner is an identity word, and by sinner I'm going to say old man, I'm not that old man anymore because uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, uh, I am a new creation, and I'm a new man, I'm a new person. Resurrected with Christ. So call ourselves what we, what we are. And all of that has to do with the bread. Without the body of Christ, my sins are forgiven, but I'm not changed. The forgiveness of sins is a wonderful thing. But I'm going to tell you something. The forgiveness of sins does not change your heart. It does not change who you are at the core of who you are. That takes the exchange life. When literally we are crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, just jot that one down. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And a life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's ponder these marvelous truths today. That the blood of Christ deals with my sin. The body of Christ deals with my identity, takes the sinner me and does away with it. The old me is still in, the, in a tomb, still in the grave. The new me is resurrected with Christ. The new man, one with the Holy Spirit that no longer likes sin, but rather loves God, dead to sin and alive to God. So one is for our identity change and one is for the penalty price for our sin. So next time, well, in a minute, when we open up these elements, I want you to remember that as we take that bread together, it's because you were crucified with Christ. Amen? And you, you ceased being a sinner and became a saint. Call yourselves what the Bible calls you. And I promise you that will have a practical effect on your everyday living. So we're going to take a minute and um, we're going to let the Lord search our hearts. We're going to take a moment to pray. Let, let God search our hearts. I'm going to open the elements. Parents, you are obviously uh, in charge of your children. And if they're walking in faith, 
been baptized and you welcome them to that table. And if not, you have the jurisdiction to let them watch. And watching is not a bad thing. Let them watch and wonder. And uh, in a minute, I'll invite us up. We'll watch it, listen to a, a song played on the screen. And then we'll take those elements together. So let's take a moment and just pray, shall we? Father, we come to you today thanking you for the forgiveness of our sin afforded to us by the purchase price of the blood of your Son. No way we could ever afford that or pay that in any sense. And so you paid that debt that you did not owe. For that we are eternally grateful today. We are also thankful that you didn't just leave us with forgiven sins, but with a whole new identity change, a heart that now is new, that does not like sin anymore, that even hates the sin we once loved and loves the God we once hated. Thank you that you have made us brand new creations in Christ Jesus. And that as we are identified in Christ Jesus, we come to realize the newness of who we are. I thank you that the cross dealt with who we are through the body of Christ and the blood of Christ paid for what we have done. And I pray that as we come to communion today through these elements, we would remember that. And we would do so with a great amount of joy as we praise and thank you for it. And as